saying not, not advocating being stupid or allowing your you know setting yourself up to yeah. to get hurt, but you know trust them and just make sure interests are aligned. And if and if something goes wrong, you'll figure it out. But it, yeah. it's better to do that um, and learn from it than to avoid it because of the unknown of you know I think this person is going to try to screw. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right, welcome back to the Wayfinder Show. We got a special guest here from my home. Well, not my hometown, but my home area. We actually share a, a, a few things in common here. We have Mr. John Bembachi yep. uh, from Lowell, Massachusetts, fellow New Englander. How you doing, John? <laughs> Pretty good. Happy to be here. Happy it's not snowing right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You haven't had much snow lately? I heard you had a whole bunch. We- We've been getting like uh, like like these freak blizzards and then no snow for a while. But as long as it's not snowing, it's a good day. Good. Does it does it still pile up there though when it snows over the winter? And um, this winter, not so much. Um, it's a weird winter, but um, but definitely winters past it'll 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 pile up pretty good. Probably probably not as good as you know some places out west. But um, but yeah, this has been a pretty 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 mild but storm filled winter. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I remember about New England was uh. You get you when the snow falls, it falls. It's very heavy, wet snow, and it piles up. So, you know, they just they have a lot of plowing, and then it, it piles up and makes these snow mounds that become black snow mounds, essentially, right, all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and then and then real estate stops. So that's kind of what we that's we right. kind of talk to our team about. Is the first snow stall is kind of like that's when real estate stops for a couple of months, and right. then it's just a matter of when the spring market starts. And this year, the spring market's starting very, very early. Oh, but cool. um, but we kind of time our seasons with, you know, when that when that first snowfall hits, like the real estate market definitely comes to a, a crawling halt. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. The um, that it's, it's not much. Uh, well, here it, it kind of just pauses for a bit, you know, and <laughs> um, because when it snows here, it disappears like the next day. We have so much sunshine that we might get a foot of snow and within two days, you'd, there'd be no evidence of it. So, uh, and then people come back out and start shopping again. So, dang, um, that works. Yeah. So, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, you're out in Lowell. Are you originally from the area? So, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I spent 10 years in corporate finance right out of school. Um, I did my first house hack when I was 22. So, that was the first property I bought. And it was more of an accident than an intention. Um, I really couldn't afford to buy anything else because I had big student loan debt. Um, I wasn't qualified for a single family or a condo. And I pretty much lived in that three family for free for five years without really realizing what I did. And then quickly discovered that what I did is an investment strategy that a lot of people do intentionally. I wish I had known that when I was 22, but, um, but better to be lucky than good. And so, um, 
from there, we kind of we kind of got a, a little bit of a four way into into real estate. And then I, I ended up going full time in real estate in 2019. And the rest is kind of history. Yeah. And how did you get into real estate as an investor or as an agent or what, what, what did you do? There's just so many things there, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, I, so I got really intentional about financial independence. Um, we had about five units at the time. Um, I realized I could retire early if I got aggressive about real estate. So we bought 24 units up in a small town called Littleton, New Hampshire in 2018. Um, and that was enough for us to reach like a lean financial independence. I, I saw behind the curtain. I didn't want to work in corporate anymore. I got my real estate license at that time. And I kind of abandoned ship from the corporate world, jumped into real estate full time and, and kind of built a real estate team that's focused on working with investors. Um, and by having a team that's focused on real estate investors, we naturally just grew our own portfolio um, at, a, at a pretty alarming rate. Yeah. How big is it now? So as of the last time I updated my personal financial statement, we're up to about 570 units. Wow. Since 2019. So 2019, I, I, I quit my corporate job with 32 yeah. units and then okay. kind of learned how to partner, learned how to build teams, learned how to work with people. And it's really been, it's, it's really been a fast moving growth. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. 570 <laughs> in a very short amount of time. Yeah. All right, that 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 must bring its own challenges, though, right? How do you do it all? Um, so a lot of it is, um, it's uh, so early on. I I, I kind of preach and I kind of I kind of teach that real estate's a team sport. The stronger your team, the easier it is to win at real estate. Um, and so I, I learned early on how to work with others, um, how to partner with people that had things that I needed. Um, I still partner with different people depending on the deal, right? If I if I have a deal that's that's legally challenged, I'll partner with a real estate attorney. If I have a deal that's operationally challenged, I'll partner with someone that's really good on the operation side. And so I'm pretty good at kind of picking my teammates. And then that's made my life a heck of a lot easier if you can kind of bring the right set of skills to the party. Um, we ended up standing up an in-house property management company as we grew because we had to solve some internal issues. We ended up standing up an, an in-house construction management company as we grew because I couldn't find anyone to do anything during COVID. And so we brought that stuff in house. And so just our, our track record has kind of been, you know, grow. And as we run into a problem, solve the problem in a way that's sustainable. And as a result, that's allowed us to, to grow again. Yeah. So it sounds like you really have become very vertically integrated along the way with. We try to. Solving, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We try to, and it's not like, you know, there's a lot of things I'm good at. There's a lot of things I suck at. And so, frankly, I try to put the right people on the right projects. Um, I don't have a CSL license. I, I don't know much about building or constructions or those types of things. But I have three people on my team that have CSL license. One's a former building commissioner. Um, I can get an answer very, very quickly that I can count on. And I don't have to have the knowledge in my head. And that tends to be how I, how I do things. Is I, I get the right people in the right seat. I trust them to make decisions. And then I don't have to know the knowledge. I just have to know how to ask questions and poke the box, so to speak. Yeah, that's interesting. So when you say partnering, you mean like you, you officially bring them on as a partner for that deal or that business? Or do you, you know, pay them as a contractor or vendor for that particular advice? Most, most of the time when I say partner, I mean, I bring them into the deal as an equity partner. And then we have we have employees, we have staff, we have a team that I leverage to get stuff done. 
But when I partner with someone, I'm, I'm bringing someone to the team that has something that I, I don't have. Yeah. So legal expertise, rather than going to pay a lawyer, you bring them into the deal and make them a partner in the deal. And then, and then you better believe like any, any time there's a problem, like he's on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I love that. So, um, that, that tends you know, there's obviously with that, there's a lot of, um, I immediately start thinking, okay, you know, you, you, you partner, you, you're essentially marrying somebody, right? How, what is your, your dating process like? How do you vet that person? Make sure you want to get married. So I don't, I, I don't. Um, and the reason why I don't is because I make my contracts very, very simple. Um, so I guess I've partnered with people in business relationships before, and it's hard because, hey, Lewis, you, you take care of the customer focused stuff. I'll take care of the back end stuff. And at a certain point, it feels like we're inequitable. You're doing more work than I am, or I'm doing more work than you are. And that's how relationships come to a head, right? When, the, right. when it's, when, when one partner feels like they're doing something that the other partner, the other partner isn't doing, it, it creates conflict. But the way we set up our stuff is um, the equity split is based off of the capital you're injecting. So if I need $100,000, we're 50-50 partners at 50K each, then we'll hire a property management company. Then we'll hire construction development. Sometimes they're my staff. Sometimes they're somebody else's. But it's third parties that get compensated for their tasks. It's not tied to our equity split. I'm not getting an extra 5% because I found the deal. I might get a commission because I found the deal. But I'm not getting more equity for services rendered. Those services are actually being treated as services. So if my property management sucks and you want to replace with a new property management, we have a conversation. We hire a new property manager but we don't get in a fight because there was no equity promised up front for those services rendered. Interesting. So, so going back to the scenario, like with the lawyer, okay, you, you partnered with a lawyer. That's not your skill set, right? It's his. So mm-hmm. by bringing him in, uh, he, would he still be, you, you each contribute equally, you know, 50, 50, uh, you're in, but you still want to use his expertise as a lawyer, right? On the deal. Mm-hmm. So is that he being compensated as if he were uh, one of your client, the partnership's clients along the way? Yeah. So he still, he yeah. still charges his fees. He still gets, you know, the, the fees that he needs for closing, the fees that he needs for title. He still charges stuff as if he was an attorney for somebody else. But by having him bought into the deal as an equity partner, I know he takes it much more personally. When it's yeah. your money at risk, you take things much more personally. And right. so even though I'm getting a bill for whatever it is, $250 an hour, whatever it is he decides to charge on based on that project, I know that I'm getting a higher level of service because he's not just protecting our deal, but he's also protecting his interest. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I, with that in mind, you're you're able to cut a little bit on the vetting process, I'm assuming, because they, they have their skin in, you know, in the game from the get-go as well. But I'm and sure if, you still want to... Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, we hire someone else to replace that role. And I kind of have a passive partner that I'm a little bit upset about, but it doesn't destroy the relationship. It's just, I, I probably won't partner with them again. Yeah. So do you have an easy, you, you, you approach the pro- partnership on a deal by deal basis then? Essentially. Yeah. I, I normally have like a pecking order of who I go to, depending on what the deal is. And then um, I, I try not to do any projects by myself anymore. Um, I always put capital into the projects. I, 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 I'm, there's a skin in the game aspect that makes sense. But but what I find is like, there's things I'm really good at. There's things I'm not good at. 
And so instead of focusing on trying to do everything, which includes my strengths and my weaknesses, I focus on my strengths and I try to find people that complement my weaknesses um, so they can focus on their strengths. But I, I probably will never do a deal again that I don't partner with somebody because once you learn how to partner with somebody well, it makes everything so much easier in real estate. I could disappear for a month and a half and I know every single one of my projects will still be in good shape because there's someone else that has interest in those projects. They're going to keep them on the tracks. Interesting. That's, that's, that's a great approach. And uh, it sounds like, you know, the more I think about it, it, I think it would, I can see why you got to 570 so quickly. I mean, it it allows for scaling really quickly. And if it doesn't work, you end that deal and and it's over and move on to the next one and apply those. And I don't own a hundred percent of those 570. I get that pushback a lot from people where you don't really owe 570 units. And and I guess that's true. Depending on the deal, you know, if it's a large scale syndication or just a, a small partnership, I own anywhere between, 15% 15% and 75%, but I don't own a hundred percent and I don't own less than 15% because, you know, there has to be significant equity there for, for it to make sense for all parties. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But you know, a little bit of a big pie is still, uh, you still eat well, right? Yeah. 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 No pie. How many times do we get stuck not making a deal because we're, we want it all. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I believe in uh, the law of large numbers for my insurance days, which is if I have a 10 unit, I don't really know what's going to happen. I could have 20% vacancy or 0% vacancy, but I have a thousand units, the math will play out. I'll be running at a 3% vacancy or whatever the market is. And so from my standpoint, I want to lean into larger, you know, law of large numbers. I want to be able to scale so that my business becomes more predictable. Yeah, that's brilliant. So it sounds to me like the team is very important to you. The team's the most important thing. Without the team, I'm nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's great that you recognize it. So how how do you go about building a team? You know, what does your structure look like? How do you maintain uh, a strong team? Yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing is, so I have 35 agents on my team. Every agent is an investor when they join or makes a commitment to buy an investment property within 12 months of joining the team. And that's pretty much the biggest component of what we do is I want I, I want to take I want to take investors and I want to teach them how to be agents. I don't want to take agents and try to teach them how to be investors because that's really freaking hard. But oh, everybody, you could go to you can go to a, you can go to a, a TGI Fridays, talk to the the hostess, and everyone thinks they can be a real estate agent. Everyone thinks being a real estate agent is really easy. But those of us that are in the industry know how hard it is. Yeah. But but if you if you try to talk to a real estate agent about being an investor, like their eyes roll in the back of their head, like they can't like. People think being a real estate investor is really hard and being a real estate agent is very easy, but it's actually the reverse. Being an investor is one of the easiest things you can do. Being a real estate agent is really freaking hard. So I'd rather take the person that already kind of overcame the mental hardness of being a real estate investor and teach them how to do contracts than the other way around. Yeah, that that's that's the first time I've heard this. This is a brilliant approach. Uh, so. So then you got you you've taken investors, you've made them into agents, and then that means what you're doing the same thing with clients. You're going out and finding people to convert into investors, or if they're already investors, continue to help them build their portfolios. Is that it? Yeah. So I think last year we helped 150 people buy their first investment property. Right. Okay. We host nine meetups every single month in three different states. So we grow the network, we grow the team. The stronger the team the easier it gets. And so my my job is to grow the team and to grow the network as big as possible. All the agents and all the businesses benefit from that. 
but like that's that's my job. And then there's the agents kind of help clients buy their first investment properties or house hack their first four family. A lot of our agents were past clients that we helped buy properties. They became an investor and now they're like, hey, I want to I want to buy more property, but I need more income. Well, if you become an agent, you can take the $10,000 of commission you make on every sale. And now that becomes your down payment to buy more real estate. And so it's very easy for people to grow. I think you had Andrew Freed on here a couple, you know, maybe a month or so ago. Um, and I mean, he had a very similar story where he started as an investor and now he's using the commissions from his sales to buy more investment property. And along the way, he's helping a lot of people get started in real estate. So it ends up being the self-filling cycle of helping right. people become investors. Those investors could become agents or or capital investors in our projects. And then the agents continue to grow by reinvesting their commissions in more deals. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, when you say you take the agents and they have to invest into the company, you also mentioned that they have to buy their first investment property within the first 12 months. Is that the investment that they make into the brokerage only, or do you still require, um, you know, buying in to the equity? No, no, that's the only investment that they need to make. Right. So they, they, they just need to become an investor. They don't need to be in on stuff that we do. We do find a lot of our agents though, like, Sometimes being a real estate investor kind of sucks. Managing your own properties, dealing with tenants. It's not for everybody. And that's okay. And so we have had agents that said, you know, hey, I don't really want to self-manage anymore. I want to invest into your projects. I want to invest into your syndications. And that works. We have a lot of a lot of our agents, you know, invest fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in our projects. And that's great. That 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 fulfills the obligation. But like just because like you know you need to be in real estate doesn't mean I can force you how that investment looks like you could be a buy and hold investor. You could be a flipper. You could be a short term rental. You could be in syndications. I don't care how you invest. My only requirement is that you become an investor because it makes it very easy for me to teach you the the soft skills of being an agent. But if if you're an investor yourself, you're going to learn all the hard things on your own money. And that's going to save our clients a heck of a lot of heartache and a heck of a lot of time. You know, how bad an eviction can be in Massachusetts, you're going to be able to coach your client differently than someone that that hasn't had that experience. So do you find that agents are competing with their clients sometimes? They find a good deal. I mean, I know I get that temptation all the time. I go out and look at a house with a client and I'm, I'm thinking, oh man, I want this house. I hope they don't take it. You know? <laughs> Um, and it, it's, it's a delicate balance. So normally what I, in the, in the agents really good at it. A lot of my agents are actually part-time agents. They have W2 jobs. They have strong income. They're doing real estate because they're growing this financial independence. They're growing their investment portfolio to the point that they can quit their W2. But a lot of times what I say, and, and they're really good about this is if you're walking a property with a client and you realize you want to buy this property, you have to tell the client. So if the client says, hey, I'm not exactly sure if I want to buy this property, um, we normally say like, hey, if you want to put an offer on the property, you have to call the client, disclose to them that you're going to make an offer. And a lot of times the client says, that's awesome. It's not a great property for me. Like they kind of call their bluff and then the agent (laughs) closes on the property. And again, that, that provides credibility. That provides when it's done right, that experience actually makes the client feel very, very comfortable because we said, you know, hey, you realize this property wasn't the right one for you. I really like it. Do you mind if I buy it? And most of the time we get called out on that. Like, yeah, sure. Go ahead and do it. And then they do it. And then it's like, okay, like that, that provides a lot of credibility to the process into the agent. It doesn't need to be a conflict. Totally. Is your training 
along the lines more of uh, agent training or do you still do some uh, investment training as well? Um, so, so, I mean, our training is pretty informal, right? So we do, we do, we do monthly trainings. Um, we, we have a team structure. So every agent joins a team, every team lead has four or five agents under them that acts as a mentor. And so Andrew Freed is our, our Worcester County team lead. He's got four or five agents that work for him. He's responsible Mm -hmm. for being the point of contact for those agents. And then here at home office, we do monthly trainings. We do nine free meetups every single month. The agents need to attend at least one meetup a month to kind of stay in the loop, to understand what's going on, contribute to the culture. But I mean, the idea is like, we, we kind of train through osmosis where it's like, you can get out of the team as much as you put into it or as little as you put into it. And it and it's up to the agent to decide, short of us protecting ourselves from getting sued. It's up to the agent to decide how invested they want to get in the team. Gotcha. We kind of put the onus on the on the agent to participate, but we give them plenty of opportunity um, to do so. Okay, so right now most of your investment uh, they're all in the residential air class. Um, so we invest anywhere between you know two families and our, our biggest building is probably like a fifty unit building. We had a hundred and thirty two unit building here in Lowell that we ended up selling about last year for a sizable gain. But we tend to stay in that residential apartment building type class we have a few mixed use buildings but the residential carries the the financials the commercial tends to be like the the kicker where if it's rented great if it's not rented we didn't rely on it for for underwriting gotcha and you stick into new england i stay within 90 minutes a little so if i can't drive there i normally don't invest into it um every once in a while i'll get someone throwing me a deal at a different market but i I like to stay in the markets that I know. I don't want to go into a market that I, I don't have the team. I don't have the network. I don't have my competitive advantage outside of my network. My competitive advantage is my team. I yeah. can't go to Memphis because I don't have a I don't have a team in Memphis. I don't I don't have a competitive advantage in Memphis. Gotcha. So what are your plans to uh, grow from here? Um, I mean, so so we're we're working to grow. We think twenty twenty four is going to be a good year. We're 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 stacking up some some flips to get ready for for the the spring and the summer. Um, we're looking for opportunities to add units to our portfolio. We're probably not really looking to sell anything significant, um, but I mean, it, it's all about buying the right properties, not necessarily like a unit count. Um, you know, we could end this year with a thousand units. We could end this year with with six hundred units. It just kind of depends on what we find and and how due diligence goes. Yeah. So you have a very specific buy box, you stick to it and you know, you, you'd like to hit a number, but if you're not, you're not going to hit that number at the expense of going outside that buy box, essentially. You can't, right. Otherwise, you know, the world falls apart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I commend you for it because I think all of us in real estate, that's one of the things you know, we get that shiny object syndrome and I'm super guilty of this, right? Where, oh no, it's hard, but my team keeps me <laughs> keep focused. Yeah. Yep. They're like, why the hell are we doing this? I'm like, that that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What kind of things are you doing outside of real estate? Um, so I have I have two young kids. I have a four year old and a two year old, so they take up a, a lot of my time. Yeah. Um and then, and then, I mean, real estate, real estate's a beast on its own. We used to travel a heck of a lot. We used to do a lot of traveling, me and my wife, before COVID, before kids. I'd love to get back out on traveling. We just, we just haven't 
we just haven't done that. And that's a lazy excuse, but, um, but that's, that's probably the thing that I miss most about, you know, life before kids was traveling. Now it's like, if you travel with your kids, you're just, you're watching your kids at a different place without your stuff. And it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to enjoy the traveling. We're not, I'm yeah. on the other end of that. Now my, my kids are teenagers and we're getting ready to kick them out. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, traveling with them is quite fun now, you know? Yeah. So, I figure when the two-year-old gets a little bit older where, you know, yeah, he can listen a little bit better, the, yeah. you know, we'll start traveling again. Yeah, right now, you still got to make sure they don't, like, jump out in the middle of the street. Or, or <laughs> eat a Thai pod, yeah. Or, exactly. <laughs> I get it. Very good. Well, John, I, I think uh, we're, we're at that point where we like to ask our famous uh, Wayfinder 4. Are uh, you ready for it? Sure. Excellent. So uh, what is a hack that you like to use every day? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's really a hack, but what I like to do is I like to eat my frog early. Right. So, so normally what I do is every day I, I have a small to-do list of, of three things and I highlight the thing that's going to make the biggest impact on my business. The one thing I can do today that's going to make the rest of my day meaningful. And I try to eat that frog early on in the morning. And it, it's not really a, a technology or anything sexy. It's probably as old as a lot of the the books that you know that, that we all read. But for me, if I can get that if I can get that one thing done, then it doesn't really matter what my rest of my day throws into chaos and I have to deal with it. I can feel good about my productivity of the day. I don't want to go to bed without that most important thing getting accomplished. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you can always feel good about at the end of the day that you got that done, no matter what, right? So. <laughs> What about a favorite? Could be a book, movie, show, uh, activity. Yeah, so my my favorite, or I guess the most impactful book that I I read was um, Four Hour Work Week, and that was probably the book that allowed me to quit my W two job and jump into real estate full time. There's an exercise in that book that I always gravitate back to, where it is. Um, you know, hey, you, you you do what you think you're doing, and 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 the worst case scenario happens, and it's like model out that worst case scenario. It's perfect. Model out that worst case scenario. You know, you, you lose your job, your family hates you, you you get divorced, and you're working at Starbucks. Um, all right, that's actually not so bad when you think about the rest of the world, right? Like, don't be an idiot. And then it's like, all right, now 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 picture what happens if what you do is awesome, everything goes right. You know, everything, everything fires exactly what you think it is. Think about your lifestyle if everything that you think can happen actually happens. And it's like, okay, that's that's awesome. Chances are you're probably going to be somewhere in the middle. So don't be an idiot and just just do it. You already thought about the worst case scenario. So like there's nothing to be scared of. And that was probably the exercise that gave me the courage to quit the W-2 and jump into real estate full time. And it was it was the hardest thing and the smartest thing I ever did because it it, it was scary, but it was unnecessarily scary because there really wasn't any downside. I love that. Yeah, that book's made a lot of uh, changed a lot of lives. It's a great <laughs> a book. Lot of takeaways from there, and that's a good and it's book. not really a real estate book, but I mean, not but I mean, it's got some it's got some really meaningful exercises in it. Yeah, I thought you saw. I just pulled it on my bookshelf. I haven't looked at it in probably ten years. I I kept it as one of those books that I think. I, you know, I should keep, I usually get rid of most of the books I read, but I thought I should reference it. I haven't. And I, I'm glad you mentioned it. Cause I've been thinking that for a while. There's a few things in there. I feel like I need to go back to. 
I listen to it on Audible once a year. So that's kind of like a oh. repeat that I have. Once a year, I, I queue it up. I, re- I listen to it at, you know, 1.2 speed or 1.5 speed. And yeah. I just let it kind of run for, you know, a couple of weeks. But it's a good it's a good book to refresh. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And, and the author, Tim Ferriss, has a show that's almost as good as the Wayfinder show. <laughs> yeah. yeah he... <laughs> I've heard uh, of him. So yeah. <laughs> what's that? I've heard of Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, tell us something that you would have told your younger self. Um, so probably the, the, the thing I probably would tell my younger self is like to uh, appreciate the little things in life, right? So one of, one of the life-changing events I had was when my, my father passed away um, right around when I jumped into real estate full-time. And it's one of those things where like it was expected, um, but it still was a very hard thing to deal with. And so I still have a hard time disconnecting and enjoying the things that are in front of me. Um, and I, I need to work better at that, but I would probably, I'd probably encourage my younger self to work at that as well, because it's one of those things that it compounds over time. And the sooner you can start something, um, the easier it becomes. And I, I wish I had kept that in mind at a very early age because it's, a, it's, it can be a difficult thing to do if you're not cognizant about it. Yeah. Hmm. Very good. So, we got a new question for the Wayfinder show, uh, a brand new Wayfinder 4 question. You're going to be our guinea pig, John. <laughs> Hope you're ready for this one. Uh, and the reason why is we just kind of felt like we used to ask people, you know, what is something that you think keeps people from being happy? And what we found over time, I was actually compiling all of the answers we had. And I noticed that they're very close in answers to your younger self and, and you know, to the question about uh, – tell something you'd advise your younger self. So we are changing that to what is a limiting belief you either have or have had and how have you overcome it or plan to overcome it? Um, so I think the the limiting belief that I, I want to talk about would be um, trusting others. Mm. And so obviously my, my whole secret to success is building a team. Um, we have a saying trust but verify it came from when i was in corporate audit and that's and that's kind of where where we go but I, I think it's so easy to say hey you can't trust anybody hey everything everybody in this industry is out for themselves they'll sell you for a dollar and that could be true about some people but you have to learn to trust people and then verify they're always going to do what's best for them and if you can incentivize them to align with the thing that's best for you and everyone's rowing in the same direction then there's no reason not to trust them. And so I think the answer would be like, you should you should learn how to trust people, but also incentivize them to make sure that you're, you're working towards the same goal. And that's the way I work with my investors. That's why I bring different investors into different deals. That's why I partner with different people on different deals is to make sure that our interests are aligned because everyone, everyone, everyone needs to do what's best for them. But if, if we have the same interest and the same goal, then that's going to make it very easy for me to trust that person regardless of what comes up. Yeah. I love that. And, and going back to how you structure your partnerships, it's clear you've developed a system that allows you to, to, you know, trust others and, you know, where everybody's mutually aligned, it seems like. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, and pretty quickly, it seems like, Oh, you have a way out fairly quickly. It could be. So that's awesome. And, and I, and I've never had a partner go south in real estate. I've had partnerships go south in businesses. I have partnerships gone south in, in other things in life. But when it when it's gravitated towards real estate, anchored on an asset, 
and and the services rendered are separate from the equity. Um, there's never been a situation that's come up that I that we haven't been able to reconcile. That's great. You you know I um I think about that and. And like, uh, I, I haven't always been a very trusting person, right? Like just the circumstance in which I grew up, it just was taught to have this fear uh, with everybody else. Don't go into partnership. Don't do things with others. You know, they're going to screw you and all this stuff. And, you know, and, and, and it can be um, one of those uh, self-fulfilling self prophecies, right? If you really believe that. But then I think about all of the quantum leaps I've had in my life have been when I took a shot on somebody to partner with, right? It's just like uh, my last partnership uh, with my bro- in my brokerage, it was, you know, it took a shot at uh, actually, you know, lending him out my managing broker level license so he can manage his property management company. Every partner he told me not to. I didn't really know the guy very well. Now <laughs> he's pretty much my second father. I mean, he's just an like, <laughs> amazing guy, you know, absolutely well, he's he's helped me so much in life and in business, and we've we've done some great things together and, and taken some big quantum leaps. And um, I I do think if we don't learn how to overcome that and trust others, um, you know, we're just not gonna we're not gonna take those quantum leaps. So yeah, and I'm not, not saying not not advocating being stupid or allowing your you know setting yourself up to yeah to get hurt, but you know trust them and just make sure interests are aligned. And if and if something goes wrong, you'll figure it out. But it, yeah. it's better to do that um, and learn from it than to avoid it because of the unknown of, you know, I think this person's going to try to screw me. That's right. That's right. That's great. I'm glad that we uh, good. Thank you for, for being our guinea pig. I think we definitely got to keep this one on. <laughs> that was a great question. Great answer. I mean, great answer to an okay question, I guess. <laughs> well, th- so John, thank you for the good I, question. Yeah. <laughs> John, um, if anybody wants to know any more about you, how can they, how can they go about finding you? Yeah, so I mean, you, you can look us up at, at KindleRealty.com or um, find me on, on Instagram or, or LinkedIn, um, John.Bombacci. My Facebook friends list is completely full, so I can't take anybody at this point. But, um, but you can find me at other places, and I'm, I'm always kicking around, um, always pretty accessible if anybody needs anything. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I, uh, you got my brain working. I think I'm going to go out and form. Uh, I've, I've got a couple of ideas in in my head of of deals I wanted to do, and I think I'm going to approach them from a different perspective just based on this conversation. So, personally, thank you, and I hope uh, others. Are, I know others are going to get a lot out of this as well when they're thinking about deals. And so, and and between you and me, right? If you want to make a lot of money in real estate, you learn how to solve really hard problems. But if you can if you can partner with someone who knows how to solve those problems. Like it's like the instant hack because now you're solving hard problems without, without really doing anything because you have the right partner at the right seat dealing with the issues. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks again, John. Uh, look forward to uh, airing this episode soon and, and sharing this wisdom with everybody out there in the world, including Tim Ferriss. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.